Are you a parent? If so, you know that there's absolutely nothing worse than having a sick child. Colds and flus are bad enough, but have you ever had to rush your child to the emergency room? I have, and it was awful. But it was such a relief to know that she was with people who knew how to help her. People who cared about saving lives. Well, I guess I just assumed that all of the medical personnel helping my daughter wanted to save her life. But what if they didn't? Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison, and I'm going to bring you another story today from the world of true crime, and then we'll see where it intersects with our faith. I hope you'll join forces with me to answer what I think is every Christian's calling, and that is to be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. We're going to learn a practical way to do that after we dive into today's case. This is Season 3, Episode 32. Our book this week is Killer Nurse, Life of Serial Killer Janine Ann Jones. And our guest is Tina Yeager, a licensed mental health counselor, life coach, speaker, and author. We'll take a deep dive into trying to understand how a trusted healthcare professional could turn out to be a predator and how we can be there for people dealing with grief when tragedy strikes their family. Janine Jones started her career as a nurse in the ICU of the San Antonio Methodist Hospital. They fired her in less than a year after they noticed that she was making some improper decisions and even mistreating patients. She quickly found another job, but left that one to have some medical procedures of her own taken care of. And then when she had been a nurse for less than one year, she started her third job, this one at Bear County Hospital, Texas, and it's now called the University Hospital of San Antonio. Janine went to work in the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit, or PICU, and showed some pretty alarming behavior with her very first patient. Coworkers reported that Janine became hysterical when the child died, and it made them wonder how in the world this new person would be able to handle such a stressful working environment. But the chief nurse in that unit thought that Janine's skills and her smarts made her a good fit. And she was lucky to have such a champion who would cover for her especially on the night that she came to work drunk and the night she was sent home when she was found tampering with a child's IV. Not only was she not fired, she wasn't even reprimanded. To me, these are huge red flags. So I'm going to say that some of the responsibility for what Janine would later do rests on this chief nurse. A doctor at the hospital even began an investigation into what he thought was the improper use of some of the medications from the unit. Apparently, their procedures weren't tight enough to catch what Janine was doing. And the doctor and the chief nurse constantly praised Janine's work ethic and her devotion to her small patients. But after several dozens of children were either dead or injured, they would finally regret the faith that they'd placed in Janine and all the red flags that they had ignored. By now, you're probably wondering what I'm wondering. Why in the world would a nurse who was a mother herself hurt and even kill mere babies and toddlers? Janine had had some rough patches in her childhood for sure, but from what the book describes, it was no worse than what thousands of other people go through. She was definitely a hypochondriac, and maybe she thought she'd get more attention if she could be the heroic nurse rushing in to save suffering children. Her certification was as a licensed vocational nurse. 
Once she settled into that third job, the one at Bear County Hospital, she quickly became that coworker that everyone despised. Now, all you nurses out there, I want to thank you for the amazing work that you do. It's the Janines of the world that get books written about them, but you are the true heroes. And Janine desperately wanted for everyone else to see her as a hero. She sought out the sickest kids to care for. Many of them would suddenly go into cardiac arrest or stop breathing. And there was Janine, ready to save them. But she didn't save all of them. Several of Janine's co-workers reported what they considered unprofessional and even dangerous things that they saw Janine doing. But that head nurse and the doctor in charge simply brushed off their concerns as petty jealousy. I wonder how many lives might have been saved if they had really looked into the allegations like they should have. After several more babies died while in Janine's care, they too finally got suspicious. But the hospital was worried that if they fired Janine, it could open them up to accusations that they too were at fault for some or even all of these kids' deaths. They decided they'd fix their problem by simply changing the requirements for nurses to be eligible to work in the PICU. From then on, those nurses had to be RNs, registered nurses. LVNs like Janine could no longer take care of the babies in the PICU. They had a golden opportunity to stop Janine and to save lives. But all they did was punt the problem further down the road. Later, when those red flags finally got the attention of the right people, the hospital would claim that they had lost reams of patient records from the time that Janine worked there. But they eventually had to admit that they had actually destroyed those records, fearing civil lawsuits from the parents of the dead children. That meant that Janine would literally get away with murder. She didn't get away with all of them, though. After Janine had to leave the hospital, she began to work with a doctor in a small pediatric clinic in Kerr County, Texas. One of her very first patients was sweet one-year-old Chelsea McClellan. While Chelsea was alone with Janine, she started having seizures. Janine, of course, saved the day. She continued to save the day as the clinic had double the number of pediatric cardiac arrest cases in one week as her new boss had seen her entire career. Yep, let me say that again just in case you were getting a refill on your coffee and thought you couldn't possibly have heard me right. The clinic where Janine now worked had double the number of pediatric cardiac arrest cases in one week than that clinic's doctor had seen in her entire career. Chelsea McClellan made another visit to the clinic just to get a routine childhood vaccine. And that visit in September of 1982 would turn into a nightmare for her mother that would live on for years. As Janine administered the shot, Chelsea began seizing and having difficulty breathing. They called an ambulance, but despite the efforts of the medical professionals other than Janine, Chelsea died on the way to the hospital. People connected to the clinic finally started getting suspicious. And someone called the Texas Rangers. Janine had been a practicing nurse for about two and a half years now. Somebody had to find out how many children might have died in her care. Of course, this was back in the 1980s, and the sophisticated testing that we're used to hearing about just didn't exist back then. But authorities were able to get an indictment against Janine for murdering Chelsea and for intentionally injuring six others. 
the Bear County prosecutor started looking into the deaths of at least 47 children in his jurisdiction, seeing if any could be tied to Janine. Remember how the hospital, in an attempt to cover their own backsides, had destroyed patient files? They also destroyed any hope of getting justice for those children. Even though Janine Jones was suspected of between 9 and 60 deaths, Bear County only indicted her for the intentional injury of one child. But Kerr County convicted her on all charges, and she was sentenced to spend 99 years in prison. You'd think that would mean that the babies of Texas would be forever safe from her, right? But Texas sentencing guidelines allowed her to be eligible for parole in 1994 after serving only about one-sixth of her sentence. Chelsea's mom attended every parole hearing to be sure that Janine wasn't let out. The laws governing sentencing also allowed for Janine to be released once she had served a third of her sentence. That meant she'd be out in either late 2017 or early 2018. Authorities began to comb through the available evidence, and they were able to charge Janine with the deaths of two more children. It took all of these people working together as a community to make sure that Janine Jones would never set foot outside prison walls as a free woman again. Now let's check in with today's guest, Tina Yeager. Tina, I'm so excited you were able to join us today because you've got a unique perspective that I think you can use to help us answer some questions about what in the world was happening with this woman and with the people around her. So we'll just start off with how hard it is for most of us, especially the ones of us that are moms, how a woman could actually purposefully hurt somebody, let alone helpless children. You know, we don't want to become paranoid and think that everybody is is out there to hurt us. But how can we have an emotionally and mentally healthy caution in areas like this? Well, first of all, most people are not the type of people that are going to want to cause harm. But it only takes one person to create this huge wake of 200 plus casualties, whether it's emotional casualties or even physical casualties behind them, because that's kind of the average for a predator is about 200 victims. So we just need to be aware of the red flags of things that are not really comfortable about that person. And when we as women have been in dysfunctional families, or maybe because it is a high probability that many women have endured sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse ourselves, we are not as likely to recognize red flags because when we've lived with them, they become normalized. This is something that we've lived with. We don't recognize them. So if something sort of feels a little bit off, instead of dismissing it, run it by somebody else. Say, this felt off to me. What do you think about that? So that's kind of important. And, and making sure that you don't want to trust in order to not look like the bad guy. That's another thing. We also don't want to be that bad guy. We don't want to be that suspicious person. 
But at the same time, you need to make sure that you are being self-aware, that you are recognizing there's a red flag. Why am I experiencing this red flag? It's either because something's off about that person, and it may not be that they're a predator. It may just be something else that's off about that person. Or it may be that they remind you of someone. That is such a great perspective because I hadn't looked at it from the standpoint of some behaviors for some people are normalized. And that advice to, to seek out another person to kind of bounce that off of is tremendous. And I want to talk about a book that you wrote. I love the title beautiful warrior. And I think that we all have that capability inside of us to be that beautiful warrior. But like you said, a lot of times we'll hang back and and not want to step out and help even ourselves, let alone other people. But so many children would have been safe from this woman if somebody had come forward with their suspicions earlier or if someone had listened to someone who did. So what would you say to people that are listening when they think they could not ever be that warrior for themselves or for someone else or their community? I don't think we're meant to be warriors on our own. I think we can always come together as sister warriors and work toward a safer community. When you are in a situation where you feel like your child is not safe, your child is your first priority, first of all. When you feel like you're in a position where you're not safe, you and your entire future and everybody that you might impact is your first priority. The priority that you need to put first is the thing that only you can protect. When it comes to that other person, you can still be kind. You can still be gracious, but that doesn't mean that you have to put all of your heart and everything that you trust that's valuable in a stranger's hands. That doesn't mean you have to trust someone. You can be kind, you can be gracious, but you don't have to trust everyone. You alluded to something that is so very important. The idea that we do need to work in community. You really brought up a point that there are so many people that these types of crimes affect. It's not just those direct victims, it's their families. It's a community that loses trust in what's supposed to be a safe institution like their hospital. And so when a tragedy like the death of a child happens, we just don't always know what to do, what to say. So what is one simple thing that you would advise us that we can do to help somebody dealing with that kind of devastating grief? Well, when we are the listener for someone who has a broken heart, the most important thing you can do is close this and open these. Close your mouth, open your ears. That person needs to be heard more than they need to be advised or fixed. And the human nature in us wants to fix someone who seems broken, but what they really need more than fixing is to be loved and cared about. When you're listening, you are loving them enough to feel the discomfort of them just remaining broken in your presence. We find that very uncomfortable as human beings, and we want to change it, we want to fix it, we want to make it immediately better, but that is not compassionate. Instead, we need to simply listen and tell them, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I wish this didn't ever have to happen to you. And just keep listening. 
Never try to fix or advise that person immediately. That's the first thing and the most important thing that everyone needs to know about how to respond to someone who's grieving. I was going to ask you, what is something to avoid? And you beautifully already answered that. But, you know, we get so tongue-tied. We want to say something. We don't know what to say. And so we say something that adds to the hurt unintentionally. What kind of things should we just definitely avoid saying? Don't tell them that God needed another angel or this all happened for a reason or any of those kinds of things to try to diminish or minimize the actual effect of the grief. It is a death. It is a loss. It is a ripping out of someone's heart. They have a hole inside of them. And when you say, well, that's really not that bad, that's not compassionate. So do not try to tell them that everything's fine and it's going to be great. You'll feel better soon. You'll get over this in a year. Don't try to minimize that person's grief. That is one of the most important things you can do. The second thing that is also really important to understand is that you really shouldn't try to tell them what they should have done differently. And I have actually heard of people doing that in response to a suicide or a death of a child and say, oh, if only you had done this. Well, that is immensely hurtful to a parent or loved one of someone who has died. So never tell a loved one, if only this had happened differently, if only you hadn't done such and such. As much as you want to think in your helplessness that you can go back and change the past, you cannot. And I see a lot of that in my line of work as well in the form of victim blaming. And society really puts a lot of that on us too. Well, should you really have been there with that particular person? What were you wearing? Had you been drinking? And while logically there are behaviors that put us more at risk than others, no one asks to be a victim. No one asks to have a horribly terrible thing happen to their family that causes this kind of grief. So... I'm with you 100% there. Blaming someone in the guise of, I'll help you learn so this won't happen to you again, that is not, that's just not okay. I know you have all kinds of resources available to help people with just the kind of things we're talking about and, and other topics. So tell me what you're working on right now that you're really excited about that's coming up And tell us where we can access your resources. Well, I have a new book that's coming out with Bold Vision Books, and it should be out fall of 2022, depending on when you are seeing and listening to this. It's called Upcycled, Crafted for a Purpose, and it is a Christian-centered book, and it's about how the way that we take old vintage items and make them beautiful and new and purposeful again, God can do that with us spiritually. And it has crafts and all kinds of projects that you can then donate to suggested missions and places where people feel broken too and need to hear that hope. So that's my new project. I also have an online course with 15 guest presenters on how to subdue stress and anxiety. And I can send you the links for that as well. Wonderful. We'll put those in the show notes, definitely. And tell us how we can find your website and where we can find you on social media. My website is tinayeager.com, and you can find all kinds of resources and opportunities to get life coaching if you're looking for a life coach or a speaker. I'm available as a speaker as well. 
And my podcast, Flourishment, is available on that site as well. That is so exciting. And what you said about upcycling vintage things and, and it even hurts in our own past to make them more beautiful than they are where we find them. How amazing that you have ideas of actually making things to donate to others because that is community building right there. I absolutely love that. And before we go, tell me from the standpoint of a licensed mental health expert, how important is community not only to keep us safe, but to just keep us well? Well, we're designed to be in community. We're not designed to be alone. So you can see that psychologically with even in prisons, the greatest punishment is to put someone in isolation. So as you know, socially dysfunctional as someone who would end up in prison might be, even they are distressed when they're put in isolation. And we've seen that with children. Infants don't develop properly if they're not nurtured. So we are meant to be in relationship with others. And we all have flaws and we all have strengths. And we need one another's strengths to help compensate for the flaws in our life so that we can work together and be stronger. We're like the wheels in a clock a little bit so that the holes in my life and the cogs in your life kind of dovetail together to make everything function well. And in community, each person's strengths matter. And if you are missing from that community, your community is missing out on something vital. That's such a great point. Everybody has a purpose in the community that God has placed them in. I love the the cogs as well. I, I need some visual representation of that to, to keep where I work. But I just want to thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your wisdom. And I want to encourage everybody, please go check out Tina's resources. You will be so glad that you did. Listen to her podcast. And again, just thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lori. I appreciate you so much. The Bible verse I picked to go over today is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and this is from the Good News Translation. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or from a cheap desire to boast, but be humble toward one another, always considering others better than yourselves, and look out for one another's interests, not just your own. If only Janine had followed that advice. But we can, and that's where our practical action step comes in. It's about making a mindset change. Too often, we place our trust in titles rather than in character. Now, most doctors and nurses are very good at what they do, and they do have a strong desire to help people. Please hear me say that. But some are in it for what they can get out of it. Money, prestige, power, or whatever it is for them. I once had a specialist who put me on a very expensive compounded medicine. I checked the ingredients and realized that both were available over the counter and I could just take two pills instead of one and basically get exactly the same drug. When I brought this up to the specialist, he became very angry, very unprofessional. And that's when it hit me. He was probably getting a kickback from the makers of the very expensive medicine. I quickly found another specialist. And that's that mindset change that I want for all of us. Don't be afraid to ask medical personnel questions. And if their attitude isn't that of someone who is more interested in your welfare than their own, 
Find another practitioner if you can. His greed could have endangered my life, not just my bank account. Staying safe extends to being cautious of the medical professionals that we let care for us. If you like this episode, be sure to check out some earlier ones and check out the website where you can find ways that you can help support the work of The Unlovely Truth, whether that is joining one of the membership zones, looking through the merch and seeing what mug or t-shirt you just have to have, or buying my 99 cent ebook. I hope that you're ready to start your journey as a different kind of PI, a person of impact, and you can help someone else do that when you share the episode, subscribe, and give me a five-star rating with a nice review. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neil Cortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.